0: This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, October 30th, 2023. I'm Caleb Brown. Is America deindustrializing? Not even close. In fact, American manufacturing could and should be more global. That is, the free flow of workers' inputs and ideas is critical for the American powerhouse of production to continue. Cato's Colin Graybow touching on his new essay for Cato's Defending Globalization Project, brings the good news of American manufacturing. It is a popular claim that manufacturing employment in the U.S. has been in a long, slow, steady decline since the early 70s. And this is largely presented as evidence that United States manufacturing has been hollowed out, it has been shipped elsewhere, and that the United States doesn't build things anymore.
1: That's right. uh, We hear this a lot, I think, uh, in the discourse here in Washington. There's a lot of talk about the need to reindustrialize, to bring manufacturing back, which of course implies that it left. But the reality is that manufacturing hasn't gone anywhere. The United States is a manufacturing superpower. The United States accounts for a greater share of global manufacturing output than Japan, Germany, South Korea combined. Um, so why is there this disconnect between the fact that we do, in fact, make a lot of stuff and there's this perception of American deindustrialization? I think it goes back to you know what you mentioned earlier. Employment has declined significantly. It peaked in 1979. has been pretty much steadily downhill since then. I think it was something like 19.5 million back in the late 70s and now we're in the neighborhood of uh, 12, 13 million. But this is because uh, largely... It's a story of productivity. Americans are incredibly productive. We're able to make more stuff with fewer people. And that's a good thing. We want more productivity. It frees up labor to do other things. And so we have the situation where Americans, not only we are great manufacturers, but we produce high-tech goods, something like 20% of all the things that Americans export are uh, high-technology products. We export you know, machinery and aerospace equipment, including to other manufacturing powers. We, you know, we send, export billions of dollars to China, to Germany, to Japan, to other countries. So the U.S. very much remains a manufacturing superpower, but uh, the the disconnect here can be explained by the fact that it employs fewer people than before, but much much higher levels of productivity, so we can do more with less.
0: Let's take that claim at at face value. Let's just say uh, this is this matters. Uh, The the relative decline in uh, manufacturing employment in the United States. Let's say that that is super meaningful. If the United States were serious about boosting manufacturing employment, um, one way to get a lot more of it is to make it easier for us to buy stuff coming into the United States, and yet we have all sorts of uh, barriers to doing that
1: uh, correct um so one great example of this are uh, tariffs that we place on steel because you know, there's a perception i think what trump said that if you don't have steel you don't have a country and so we put tariffs on steel the logic being that we will bolster our steel manufacturing sector and uh, this will make the country stronger and, and, and usher in a manufacturing renaissance The problem with this logic is that steel is a very important input for numerous other industries, including other manufacturing industries. Uh, Auto making, for example, you know, uh, that's a huge input for them. For machinery, for, you know, produce washing machines, all sorts of things. The construction sector relies on steel. So if you make some of these inputs very expensive, you are undermining the competitiveness of other American industries and other manufacturers that I think a lot of Americans uh, want to promote. But it goes beyond just, you know, raw materials. Also, people are an input. Uh, Right now, the National Association of Manufacturers, they express frustration about the hundreds of thousands of unfilled jobs that they, they can't fill you know, there's a labor shortage. So if we had a more permissive immigration regime, that could also help boost our manufacturing. So there, I think that, you know, uh, putting barriers to goods and people coming into the country are absolutely the wrong way to try to uh, improve the status of this, this industry.
0: There is, a, a, within economics, it's, it's well known that when countries are developing, you start with textiles, you move into heavier machinery, And then these are all things that are better than what you had in terms of the output and the difficulty that it places, uh, that it might place on workers. But it's, we're always in transition. And countries that are into textiles right now are very, are poor. And they're trying to advance. And we shouldn't expect necessarily that the United States is any different, even when manufacturing was a dominant force in uh, U.S. productivity in the 20th century.
1: Yeah, exactly. As you point out, the economy is dynamic, you know, and and we want it that way. We don't want um, a static economy. Static economy means no advancement. And to to get to that next level, you know, old jobs have to be discarded and new jobs come along to replace them, and they're usually better jobs. Uh, We've seen this transition, as you mentioned, the textile industry. It started off in New England. Then it moved down to the Carolinas and and further south, and then it's kind of been offshore. But, you know, new things come along to replace that. New England is, no, no, no it's not synonymous with textiles anymore. It's the knowledge economy, biotech, things like that. Also, North Carolina has seen, you know, a development in, in knowledge uh, industries in high tech. So better things come along to replace it. And it's also worth pointing out that... There's a perception that um, you know, manufacturing jobs, are, they're well-paid. They are better than average, and that's why they're desirable. But you know, now as the economy has advanced, we're more service-oriented. In fact, your average manufacturing job pays slightly less than other jobs in the economy. I think that's a tribute to the fact that we're constantly introducing new and better jobs uh, in our economy. And as our economy advances, the, the fact that these jobs some get offshored or more likely they're turned over to a robot is, is, is what more likely happens uh, to produce that good. Um, this just shows our advancement because this is not a uniquely American phenomena. If you look around the world, other advanced industrialized countries, they uh, are all seen experiencing a relative decline in their manufacturing sector as they move on to a more services, you know, knowledge-based economy. Germany, Japan, South Korea, Australia, countries that we would consider our peers, they all experience the same phenomenon. It's just a symptom of being rich is ultimately what it comes down to.
0: When we say the relative decline of manufacturing, we have to be specific here. Manufacturing is at or near all-time highs in the United States today. And so it is truly a relative decline of manufacturing. You made reference to the fact that, hey, we're we're just wealthier. So there are a wide variety of different kinds of jobs that can be done. What, I guess, help me understand that diversity in the U.S. economy and in other economies, and what what that means for wealth.
1: Yeah. I think there's a lot of value in economic diversity. Um, again, you know, manufacturing has not gone away in this country. Um, you know, we still if, – if manufacturing if – the US manufacturing uh, sector was its own economy, I think it would be like the eighth largest economy in the world. But relative to other – it's not so much that manufacturing you know, has declined so much as other sectors of the, the economy have expanded and that's good. Um, because diversity means that you have more resilience when there is a downturn in a particular sector of the economy. You're not as beholden to the fortunes of that economy. You can weather the storm a bit better. So the fact that we have, yes, a strong manufacturing uh, sector, but we also have um, many other important sectors, is is, is it contributes to our economic resilience. Uh, I would submit. So that when there are these inevitable downturns, it doesn't drag the rest of the economy down uh, down with it, and that. Uh, ultimately, we're in a better place, and we' we don't have to worry as much about any of these these fluctuations in our in our economic welfare
0: politically this is it's almost as if the the scene always has the drop on the unseen, and it's easy to point to these small factories in some part of the United States that have closed. some of them open up uh, to our south, some of them open up to the the Far East, um, but some of them open up elsewhere in the United States. That's right. So pointing to the 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 closure in one part of the United States and an opening in the other part of the United States, I guess that just doesn't have as much salience for xenophobic voters.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think you know the classic story here is you know a factory closes somewhere in in the Rust Belt and then it it's shipped overseas, and I think that's the the perception that people have in their head when they see a, a factory close. They Assume that, you know, some foreigner must be benefiting from that closure. Uh, when in fact, you know, the majority of factory closures are usually explained by automation. You know, that accounts for far more many people losing their jobs than the job being shipped overseas. But also we have domestic outsourcing. We have exa- numerous examples of factories closing in the you know, industrial Midwest and then opening new, new factories being opened by the same company down south. The auto industry is a great example of this, where we see an increasing shift uh, southwards. Unemployment, or employment, rather, has declined in the industrial Midwest and has expanded uh, further south, you know, states like Alabama, South Carolina. But then we also see it's not just autos. We see examples of even the steel industry. I think it was U.S. Steel. Uh, recently, they closed a, a factory somewhere in the Midwest, I want to say, you know, Indiana, something like this. And they opened a new one in Arkansas. And, you know, also within steel, we have to differentiate. There's different types of steel operations. There's integrated mills versus uh, mini mills that rely heavily on scrap metal. And the mini mills are much more competitive. So, and it's a good thing when we see some of these less competitive mills close and we shift over towards mini mills because that means, you know, overall the industry is better off and more resilient. Um, we want more competitive mills opening. And this is, yeah, this is just a natural part of the ever uh, ongoing shift, uh, shifts within our economy. Um, Certain, we talk about countries having comparative advantages. Well, states, you know, have comparative advantages as well. So I I think that's something uh, worth keeping in mind. But, you know, like you said, this this maybe doesn't have the same salience. uh, Maybe throws people for a loop a bit when it's not a foreigner getting a job. It's actually another American in a different state, but still the same dynamic.
0: Colin Grabo is author of a new essay for Cato's Defending Globalization Project. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you please. And thank you for listening.